Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. This concept is founded on love and justice for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. I love this week between Christmas and New Year's. So if you're driving or just have a few minutes of downtime and you've uh, listened in to this uh, interview that we're going to do with Brad Thornton, an amazing educator just outside of Chicago, I want you to think about a couple things as we look toward a new year beginning and have hopefully some time with family and friends and just time to relax over this time about ways that you can start to build some habits. The next few episodes are going to be about building habits as opposed to setting goals. James Clear and Atomic Habits talks a lot about setting habits, micro changes that will lead to the goals that you actually want without worrying about the end goal, but making those changes so that we become more of who we were created to be. And so there are two things I want you to take away from this episode. The first one is the way that Brad and his colleagues are creating moments for their students. This builds on the work out of Chip and Dan Heath's book, The Power of Moments. They've created opportunities to elevate things, build a sense of pride, insight, and connection for students. And they've made some meaningful and lasting changes in their schools that way. So as you look ahead to January, think about one thing in the month of January that could be a peak moment for your students, for your colleagues, for those that you work with. What could be that moment? What what could that look like? And then break down each week. What would be a peak, even if it's just a small peak each week, something that you could look forward to that would elevate something, create a sense of pride, insight, or connection. doesn't have to do all four. It's great if it does. But when we do that, that changes things. And then the second thing, and this is really for those of you, if you happen to know Brad, uh, he is a member of our master's cohort that just finished. He has a lot of wisdom, and he's always a go-to source for people to talk through things because he's really good at what I like to call positive venting. In several of my books, I've written about venting and how it actually doesn't help us move forward. Regular venting, in my view, typically ends up with trying to find someone who's an ally who can confirm your negative feelings toward a person or an idea. You walk away feeling better from the venting session because you have found someone who you've dragged down to your level of negativity who agrees with you that you are justified in being negative. And that's just created in you a solidified negative feeling. And you've then contributed that to your colleague or friend. And so when we think about venting, there are really four questions we should think about. What am I venting about? Who am I venting to? Did I seek this person out because they will agree with me and confirm my anger and frustration? Or is this person likely to challenge my perspective or help me reframe the situation in a solution-oriented way? And so when we look for those people, let's look to elevate people. That's what Brad does. Let's do that for each other. And then the second thing I would push you on is if you feel a need to complain, either in between Christmas and New Year's or as you look into January, force yourself to do what Greg McCown encourages us to do in uh, essentialism and then effortless. If you start to make a complaint, 
the next sentence needs to be a positive. So for an example, if you get back to school and you feel like saying something like, my class is driving me crazy today. As soon as you hear that come out of your mouth, try to add a sentence afterwards that is positive. But I am grateful I get to do meaningful work every day with people who can grow. Keep focused on the positive. And if we start doing that, where as soon as you make a complaint, you have to follow it up with something positive, you'll start to check yourself on the complaining and become more of that positive force that you want to be. So I hope you enjoy this week. I hope you enjoy this interview with Brad Thornton. Welcome back to Just Schools. Today, we're here with Brad Thornton, who is an educator outside of Chicago, who has been doing amazing work with students as a coach and as a teacher, and now as an administrator for years. And today, we're talking about why students don't like school and how we can change that. The main thing that we're talking about here is that what Dan Willingham coined in his book, which I think is one of the best titles ever, Why Don't Students Like School? He's a cognitive scientist at University of Virginia, and he studies the reasons why kids don't like school. And that certainly is something that educators, if you've spent any time in schools recently, there is a feeling that kids are somewhat disengaged. They don't see school as relevant. It feels like a compliance-driven place with a lack of any kind of future orientation for them. And so in one of the first chapters of the book, Just Teaching, I included a story about some teachers uh, with whom Brad works, uh, who had taken a field trip to Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry. They came back with the idea of using some Pixar techniques in their English classes. So Brad, first of all, welcome. And then if you could tell us a little bit about what you observe with those teachers, that would be great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. Really appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, these, uh, these two uh, just bright, bright, enthusiastic teachers um, wanted students to experience both storytelling and the science behind storytelling, especially as it relates to uh, Pixar storytelling techniques. And just happened to be a, an exhibit at the Museum of Science and Industry. And so uh, the two teachers, uh, was part of an English one, our freshman English class, and then a physics class decided to, to go and check out the exhibit and came back with the idea of trying to basically bring a storytelling unit to life, to not only design a story and a character uh, in the English classroom, but then to cross that over into science and bring that character to life uh, using some design principles, some 3D printers that we have in our maker space. And after bringing the character to life, to bring it back to the English classroom and to present on it, to tell the story, to share the character and some of the like, ideas behind generation. And what was fun about it was the, these teachers had the idea. I just had to breathe some wind into the sails and encourage them and let it run. And uh, yeah, it was amazing to see the way students engage with the project. Yeah, so I, I love that. And I love the breathing the wind into the sails because I think that's one of the things great leaders do is it's not about their ideas. It's about the ideas of others. And so I think teachers do that with students. I think administrators do that with teachers where they really do breathe life and catalyze that good work in some powerful ways. So I'm curious to hear after that experience that the students had when a fairly non-traditional English assignment that actually crossed disciplines. What did that do in your observation of changing their view of English moving forward? Did you notice anything different about the teachers or the students as they move forward? I noticed a high level of enthusiasm around the project. 
And it, it just kept growing uh, over the years that what I just described was kind of year one and then expanded into year two, uh, an in-class field trip for the entire school day, for the entire freshman class, promoting these cross-disciplinary uh, ideas. Um, and it, it served to do what we were trying to do as a part of a larger curriculum movement. Uh, to uh, not not isolate disciplines or study, but to promote the idea that the disciplines do feed into one another. And has led to even an explosion in our, our curriculum of now offering at least a dozen articulated cross-curricular courses with teachers generating new ideas every year. Um, so it, it, it was amazing to watch the influence of some teachers that are now influencing our broader school community. Back to the students, though, it, it was fun on presentation day, seeing them enter into the building. I, I oftentimes stand outside my office or right outside the school just to say hi to students as they're coming in. And that day was always a distinct day, that presentation day, because they were coming dressed up. Uh, their audience was uh, essentially a studio that they were pitching their story idea to. So they were dressed to the nines. They were carrying their characters uh, ranging in size from like something you could fit into your pocket to something you had to wrap your arms around and carry down the hallway. <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, it, it was fun to see their, their, their eyes, their smiles as they're coming in with some purpose uh, that these teachers created for, for the school day and for this class period. Love that. So what I hear you doing is what Chip and Dan Heath describe as the power of moments. You figured out ways to elevate some things where there's pride, there's insight, or there's connection happening, or maybe all four. And so I'm curious about other examples where you've seen moments be created by educators, for educators, by students, for students, where you've seen that spark some of that additional like joy that we can find in schools that are life-giving places, kind of like what you described on presentation day. Yeah, it, you know, it, may, it might be a bit unique to our school campus, but we do weekly gatherings that we call community time, and we can fit our entire student body into our auditorium about 650 students. And I, this is fresh on my mind because I'm just coming from this assembly uh, where we offer spotlights, celebrations. We, we call out some accomplishments either from individuals or groups. And just recently, our math team did really well in a conference championship. So we just called those students up front and spotlighted the different individuals and teams. And it was amazing to hear the response from the community. Uh, a team that uh, might not earn as much accolade or recognition broadly outside of the campus, uh, not as much as some of the athletic team accomplishments that get more attention, but uh, an amazing response to some pretty cool accomplishments from our students. So that that moment was powerful. I appreciated it uh, because it, it is celebrating um, some gifts of students that might not normally be spotlighted. Love that. And, and since Brad is just finishing up our master's degree at Baylor, we, we read a book by Bowman and Deal, Reframing Organizations, where we talk about the symbolic frame of what we celebrate is what represents our organization. That's what we elevate. And so that's a great example of systematically celebrating some things that other schools might miss. So I'm curious about that specifically, but then in general, why don't we see more of these elevated moments, either through these cross-curricular projects or through the way a school celebrates what's going on? Why don't we see this more in schools? That's a great question. I don't know. I think that to go back to the kind of Bowman and Deal framework, I, I think that 
schools need to be intentional in creating some some structures for those moments to be celebrated, whether that's uh, administrators pushing them in classes or even creating space during the school week uh, for, for those symbolic moments to be spotlighted and celebrated. I'm limited. I've only been in a couple school contexts and I've seen the spaces where they can happen within both school contexts that I've been in. Um, but I, you know, I would love to see uh, schools push towards more intentionality from a structure standpoint to allow space for um, those moments to be to be spotlighted. So my my hunch, having been in lots of schools and, and researched this a lot, is that everybody wants to do these things, but there's a there's an energy that's required that feels like these are add on things that there are things we're required to do. There's the tyranny of the urgent where you have real needs, where you're putting out fires and you just are constantly in triage where you're just addressing the most urgent need. And these kinds of elevating moments of going above and beyond what the minimum expectation is means that if you don't have space, if you're in survival mode, you're not thinking about these things, whether you're teachers, students, or administrators. So that's my take. So I guess the question I have for you is at your school at, at Wheaton Academy, you all have found some margin, it seems, for this. Do you have any tips on how you think that's been done, both as a teacher, a coach, or even as an administrator? Yeah. I used to be the, the head coach of a football team here, and it did take some uh, kind of value statement, some culture development, some, some, like some articulation of what it is that, that we value within the program. And then identifying where during the week we could, in our practice time, call attention to spotlighting individuals, spotlighting accomplishments, spotlighting the values that, that we wanted to hold up for the rest of the team to know what it was that we were trying to do culturally. So, put planning. Took intentionality, took it, took articulation of what it is that we're aiming for as a program, and then knowing exactly where during the week we were going to reinforce and emphasize whatever it was we were trying to to spotlight as a value. Yeah, I will say I think Wheaton Academy does that fairly well. There's an intentional culture building there, which I think is is strong, and so I think uh, sure. well said there. Um, so having just completed Baylor's MA in school leadership, but actually, I guess you'll officially complete this weekend. Uh, What is your hope for helping students see schools as life-giving places of deep engagement? I I think the same could be said for educators, but I mean, do you see those two going hand in hand and do you have any hope for us? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the coolest things about the program has been, uh, the way that, that you have spotlighted that this time in our country's educational history is truly unique. There is myriad opportunity for schools to be um, agents of of change, of positive influence in students' lives. And uh, the the conceptual framework for the program was really encouraging to me entering and reading through that the the intent, the value that really you're, you're trying to spotlight in the program is that uh, we we want to create students and communities that are flourishing. And in order for flourishing communities to exist, you need flourishing leaders. And I would say my experience in the program uh, has certainly contributed to um, some some personal uh, and academic flourishing in my own life. And I think that one of the things I was surprised by 
um, and making a transition out of the classroom into more of an administrative leadership role was uh, the amount of my day that is scheduled in just supporting people, teachers, other administrators, students when necessary. I went from working directly with students on a day-to-day basis to directly working with the adults that influence students. And so I see a huge part of my role is asking questions on what I can do to help my teachers flourish, uh, to affirm gifts that they have, to see what they're doing well, and to call it out. Because that I, I oftentimes find that like what teachers do innately well, they don't know they're doing it well. Uh, they think that hey, this is just a common thing that all, everybody can do. And it, it oftentimes isn't. It's unique to them. So calling that out uh, and affirming like, hey, you got a real gift here. Do this more uh, is just a real delight. So, yeah, a huge, huge part of my role is just trying to ensure that others are flourishing. Like, like with those two teachers who had the idea for the Pixar project, that was fun. That's fun stuff. Hey, here's an idea. Can we do this? A, yes. B, let's figure out how. I want to come alongside to help. Because uh, it's going to lead or directly impact student learning and engagement. One of the things I think you do really well, and Bob Goff calls this out, is that you, you tell people who they're becoming, not who you want them to be, not who you aspire for them to be. But what do you see in them that genuinely is them becoming who they were created to be? And I feel like you do that very well. And on that note, you said when we were getting ready to to actually do this, you said, you know, when I go to work, I don't get a lot of stuff done during the day because you end up doing all of this relationship building, which I would say is the most important work that we do as educators, whether we're administrators or teachers, that relationship building with a purpose toward an end that students and educators we serve become more who they were created to be is the work of what educators do. But is that something that just comes naturally to you? Is that something you've been able to cultivate over time? How do you do that? Because I think that builds schools that are places that everybody wants to be a part of because they're becoming who they were created to be in a place that pushes them. Yes. I mean, you're a coach. You know this. It's not just all uh, rainbows and sunshine. There are times where you have to tell the truth. And you have to say, here's where you're at and here's where you need to go. But you do that in relationships. So is that something that's come natural to you, uh, which I think maybe is a little bit true for you knowing you? But then how have you cultivated that over time, both as a teacher, coach, and teacher and coach, and then now as well as an administrator? The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes about uh, gifts that the Spirit equips us with for the work that he's called us to do. Uh, when I started teaching, uh, teaching did not come naturally or easily. Uh, it was totally outside of my comfort zone. And I grew tremendously as a teacher by, by, by showing up, by putting in the work, and then by being just on my knees asking for help. Uh, and I really believe that in that season of life, uh, the, the Holy Spirit equipped me with the what I needed for that time, for that season of, of teaching. Shifting into the administrative role, I can see ways that um, I've been equipped, again, by the Spirit to assume more of a, a shepherding role of people. And so there's some things that do, do come innately, just care for people. Uh, but some things that I've seen the Lord do in my life with key mentors, key people he's brought in uh, to help me for this season of life, to walk 
with people through challenges and to feel like I have some tools to do that by uh, that I didn't have five, 10 years ago. Um, so thankful for that. Thankful for key mentors. I mean, I just an example. I, I used to be really uncomfortable by, by tears, by people who were in front of me crying. I would try to pull them out of heart space and get them back into headspace, essentially. Um, and I've been shocked by the amount of people that have been in this office in tears the past couple of years. And COVID exposed a lot of that uh, and just kind of d- dug up a lot of deep feelings to the surface. And uh, now, because of what I feel like I've been equipped with by others, by the spirit, I know exactly what to do in those moments. And those moments can be so powerful, so sacred. The Lord can do some amazing work in those moments. So, some innate, but a lot. I'm, I'm just thankful for the way others have been intervened. And most importantly, the way that um, the Lord has intervened in my life to equip me for this season. Well, that's so helpful. And, and I will say that trying to move people out of heart space into head space. My own daughters have told me little times we go to mom because we don't want the problem <laughs> solved. We just want to be here or heard. So that's a good work for me. And again, I think that kind of leadership that we can find in schools among students, teachers, administrators, that makes schools those life-giving places that are places of encouragement and they're an oasis in a time when that's not always how culture feels, especially for our students. So I think that's a great place to wrap things up. I really appreciate your time. Brad, and I've really enjoyed um, getting to know you through the program and appreciate all the work you do. Amazing. Thank you, John. Appreciate you. Hopefully that conversation with Brad was an encouragement to you as you look to start a new year. Brad is that kind of colleague that everyone wants, that is there, as he puts it, to blow wind in the sails of other people's ideas. We can be that for other people. We can be that for our students. We can learn lessons from Pixar about how to make English a more meaningful experience, something that is a peak for students, something that is a peak for us. And as we build more of those things with others, that's the kind of encouragement that we get. Again, if you're interested in doing that with colleagues at Baylor, we're launching our next cohort, which will start in June of 2023. We would love to have you apply. If you want more information, just go to Baylor MA and School Leadership and reach out, or you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Eckert John, E-C-K-E-R-T-J-O-N, or just reach out to me via email, John, J-O-N, underscore Eckert at Baylor.edu. We look forward to the year ahead and the stories of success and connection that we're creating. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Watch for Dr. John Eckert's first book in the series starting in January 2023.